It's good to be back with you guys. So, and I'm excited to be back in the pulpit. This is it's been about three months since I have preached a sermon, since I've been in this pulpit. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, our church graciously allowed my wife and I the past, uh, basically the whole summer, to go to Hungary and to adopt our three children. And so we went to Hungary this summer. We were there for about 45 days. We adopted three children, uh, Joshua, Joanna, and Caleb. Yeah. Joshua, Joanna, and Caleb are eight, four, and three, and uh, hoping that my wife and the kids are going to be able to join us for the first time next week, so uh, you'll, you'll get to meet them, Lord willing. Uh, but I, I just want to stop just briefly and, and say thank you to my church family for uh, allowing us the opportunity to be able to go and do that. I recognize that that's a, a privilege, and you all have blessed us. Uh, and you've blessed us in many ways since we've been home, from bringing meals to encouraging notes and cards to prayer to phone calls to running errands. I mean, it's just we've been blown away by your generosity. And I want to thank the other elders and their wives for just the sacrifice you all made this summer. Uh, I know that you guys had to carry the load that I usually carry in addition to your own. And so uh, Chad, Amanda, Thomas, Amanda, Doug, Lydia, thank you. Um, really, really mean that. Uh, we're blessed with some some godly elders and, and their wives in this church, guys. We really are. Um, so this morning, uh, we are kicking off a new series. Um, so our, our mission as a church, you'll see it up here, is helping people know Jesus and make him known in D.C. and around the world. So we believe that like that's how we can summarize, best summarize what God has called us to do in this isn't a unique mission. It's the same mission given to every single church in God's Word. So we didn't come up with this on our own. We see that in Scripture. That's where we get that from. It's what the Bible calls us to do, which is to know Jesus and make Him known. And so the question then becomes, as a local church, how can we best do that? And that's where our, what we call our strategy comes in. And our strategy is not unique either. We believe that each of the four components of our strategy are clearly evident in God's Word. So the four components, you'll see, uh, they should be on the screen behind me. Uh, equip, pray, go, and serve. Equip, pray, go, and serve. We believe that as we are doing those four things, we will, as a church, fulfill the mission that God's called us to, which is to know Jesus and make Him known. So we want to equip, we want to teach disciples to obey all that Jesus has commanded, we want to devote ourselves to desperate, confident prayer. We want to go, we want to send and support church planters and missionaries locally and globally. And we want to serve, we want to selflessly serve the neediest among us. As we're doing those four things, as those four habits are regularly, regularly practiced in the life of our church, we will glorify God by helping people know Jesus and make Him known in D.C. and around the world. Does that make sense? All right. So, uh, what we're going to do is, over the next four weeks, we're going to walk through one by one each component of the strategy. This morning, we're going to talk about equip. What does that mean? What do we mean when we say we want to equip uh, disciples? And so that's what we're going to cover today. Uh, it's, been, it's been said before that the modern church in America is a lot like a college football game. There's 22 men down on the field desperately in need of rest and tens of thousands of fans in the stands desperately in need of exercise. That is a much different picture of the church than we get from the Bible. 
The picture of the church we get in God's Word isn't of a few people using their gifts while everyone else comes to sit in the stands and to watch like a spectator. The picture of the church we get in the Bible, the Bible describes the church, for example, like, like a body. In each member of the church, every single Christian is a member of that body, a part of that body with a critical role to play in the overall health of that body. So if God's design is for each believer to be equipped to know Jesus and to make Him known, then we need to go to God's Word to see how that happens. And this morning, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 16, and we're going to see what God's Word has to say about how believers are equipped to carry out this calling. Uh, as you're turning to Ephesians, uh, it's in the New Testament. Uh, it's after Galatians and before Philippians. Um, and uh, Sorry, I didn't get the page number on the Pew Bibles, but if you'll uh, begin turning there, I want to give you a little bit of background to kind of set uh, the setting. So Ephesians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. This was a church that he helped to plant. And in the first three chapters of this letter, Paul lays out the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you are a Christian, Paul explains in the first three chapters, it is because God graciously saved you by grace alone through faith in Jesus alone. You and I were dead in our sin, but God made us alive. We were redeemed by the blood of Christ who died in our place and then rose from the dead. And God is, we go on to read in chapter 2 that God is saving people from every nation, both Jew and Gentile, and uniting us into one body. So through the blood of Jesus, believers have peace with God and peace with one another. And we're called now as the body of Christ to live in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. To live and to look like Jesus. And the last three chapters of the letter expound upon how we are to live in light of the gospel. So the, the first three chapters really lay out this is the gospel. And the last three chapters go, okay, in light of this truth, here's how then we are to live. And in the first part of chapter 4, where we're going to camp out this morning, Paul explains how God equips the church to do just that. How God equips the church to live in light of the gospel. So let me read Ephesians 4, 11 to 16, and then we'll jump in. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let me pray. God, I thank you for your word. Your word is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, discerning the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. Lord, I pray 
Spirit of God, I pray that you would build up your body this morning as the word is read and taught. There's nothing that I can do to change anyone's heart here. There's no profound wisdom that comes from Jared that can, that can change anyone's life, Lord. God, only your word can change our hearts. Only your word can sanctify us and make us more like Jesus. So I pray that you do that this morning. And God, I pray that for anyone in this room that's not born again, that does not know for certain that when they die, they will stand redeemed before you and unblemished and pure because they've been covered in the righteousness of Jesus. I pray that today would be the day of salvation, that you would open up the eyes of the blind, give them the gift of faith, that those who are dead in their trespasses and sin would be made alive in Christ Jesus this morning. And God, only you can do that. And so we're praying and pleading with you that you, that you would. Help me now as I preach. Help me in my weakness. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I want us to walk through this passage um, by beginning at the end today. So first, I want us to see God's glorious goal for the church. Then I want us to see God's gracious gift to the church. And finally, we're going to see God's great calling upon each Christian. So in other words, we're going to see God's ultimate goal for the church. Then we're going to see the gift that God has given the church to help us get there, to help us reach that goal. And then we'll look at the important role that each of you as Christians are to play in that process. So those are our three points. God's glorious goal for the church, God's gracious gift to the church, and God's great calling upon each Christian. Let's look at God's glorious goal for the church. And in, in verse 13, Paul begins to unfold this goal, this vision that God has for his church. He says, in the first part of 13, he says that uh, the leaders of the church equip the saints to, for the work of ministry until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. So God wants his church to have unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God. God does not want us to be united for unity's sake. We're not to discard truth for the sake of unity. We are to be united around the truth of who God is. We're to be united around the, the right knowledge of the Son of God. We are to be united in our faith in God's revelation of himself in his word and in the person of Jesus Christ. God has not left it a mystery who he is or what he's like. He has clearly revealed himself in his word and scripture. And he's clearly revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. So we are to be united around our faith in that truth about who God is. In other words, God wants his people to know him. He wants his people to know him intimately as he really is. He wants us to know him rightly. He doesn't want us to know a caricature of him or a distortion of him. He wants us to know him as he truly is. And then you look at the second half of verse 13. It says, Paul explains that uh, the saints are to be equipped for the work of ministry until we all attain to the unity of faith and, to the, uh, and of the knowledge of the Son of God. And then he says, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so what Paul is saying here is that God wants his church, the body of Christ, to be like Christ. Jesus is the measure or the standard of maturity towards which the church must aspire. He wants us to walk like Christ, 
to talk like Christ, to think like Christ, to live like Christ. This is what it means to grow in spiritual maturity or to mature manhood. And in verse 14, Paul explains that we must grow in maturity so that we may no longer be children who are gullible to false teachings and worldly philosophies. Instead, we are to proclaim the truth to each other and to the world. So if we just take a step back and just look at the composite picture that Paul has just painted here of God's glorious goal for the church, we see a church that knows Jesus rightly and a church that is making Jesus known both with our lives and with our lips. We see a church that knows Jesus rightly and we see a church that's making Jesus known both with our lives and with our lips. That's God's glorious goal for the church. Uh, is this goal realistic for us as Christians? When you think about it, if, if we're, we're supposed to be like Christ, that can seem like a daunting task. How could we ever attain to Christ-likeness? Is God just expecting us to pull ourselves up by our spiritual bootstraps and try our best to be good Christians and hopefully one day we'll have done enough and he'll say, okay, that's good enough and he'll let us into heaven? Is that what Paul is describing here? No. Paul has already described in Ephesians chapter 2 that all of us, apart from God's grace, apart from Christ, are dead in our trespasses and in our sin. Dead people cannot do anything to contribute to their own salvation. They're dead. They're completely and utterly helpless. helpless. They can't even reach up for a life raft. You're just dead at the bottom of the sea. And Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 explains that we are saved by God's grace alone through faith in Christ Jesus alone. Jesus died on the cross to take the punishment for guilty sinners like us, and then he rose from the dead, defeating our great enemy, death. And we are saved when we repent of our sin and we believe this good news that Christ died for us and then rose from the dead. And the only way that we can believe that good news is if God, by the Holy Spirit, quickens our heart, gives us the gift of faith. Even the faith that we have in Jesus is a gift from God. There's no way we could ever achieve righteousness on our own merit because every one of us has already broken God's law. You've sinned against a holy God, but the good news is that God graciously forgives sinners. And not only does He pardon us of sin's penalty, but God purifies His church of sin's presence in their lives in a process called sanctification that takes place throughout the remainder of your walk with Jesus until the day that you stand before God and that work is complete. Sanctification is just the process of you being made holy. So not only does God free us from sin's penalty, but He's purifying us of sin's presence and of sin's control in our lives so that we're no longer driven by sin and driven by the flesh, but instead we begin to be led by the Spirit of God. He changes us from the inside out. So God's plan is not merely to save the church, but to sanctify the church completely, to make her holy. Paul says this in the very beginning of the, of the letter to the Ephesians. In Ephesians 1.4, he says that if you're a Christian, then you need to know that he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. That is the end goal. That's the end product for every single one of us who are in Christ Jesus. You will be made holy and blameless one day when you stand before God. 
God will finish that work in every single one of us. God is the one who ensures that the church will grow up into Christ-likeness. But that doesn't mean that we take a passive role, that we can just be couch potato Christians and go, well, I don't really need to put any effort into my faith because God's going to finish the work of sanctification anyway, so I'm just going to go ahead and live like I want for the rest of my life. That's not how it works. No, we are to be led by the Spirit. As Christians, we're called to actively pursue Christ's likeness, but God is the one empowering us to do so and giving us all the resources we need to know Jesus and make him known. So the reason that you wake up in the morning, Christian, wanting to pursue Jesus, wanting to know him, having any sort of desire in you to want to make him known is because the Spirit of God has put that in you. It's not anything in and of yourself. That's because each morning God is waking you up and sustaining your faith. Each morning, he is carrying you through. Now, before we move on, I need to pause here and ask, because I know in a room this size, there are people here that are not born again. Maybe there's people here, maybe there's people here who have never been to church before. Or maybe this is your first time back in a church in a long time, or maybe you've been attending regularly a church, um, but you're just playing at being a Christian, and you're still living in unrepentant sin, and you've never really turned away from your sin. So I need to pause and ask, do you know if you are forgiven? Have you repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus? There's no question more important that you could answer this morning than that one. It has eternal ramifications. Eternal ramifications. You can know the answer to that question with certainty today. If you're not certain, don't leave this room until you have made certain, until you have called upon the name of the Lord Jesus, until you have confessed your sin to him and received the grace of God, acknowledging that Jesus died on the cross for your sin and rose from the dead. If you will do that, if you will repent of your sin and believe this morning, then you will be saved. That's not Jared's promise. That's straight from God's word. It's in scripture. If you want to talk to one of us about learning more about how to do that, come and talk to me after the service. Come and talk to Thomas. Come and talk to Doug. Come and talk to Chad, one of the elders. Or talk to the person you came with. We'd love to talk with you more about how you can be saved this morning and begin a relationship with Jesus. So God gives us the resources that we need to know Jesus and make him known. How how does he do that? How does God give us the resources that we need to grow up into Christ-likeness, to reach this goal, this glorious goal that he has for the church? Well, that leads us to our second point, God's gracious gift to the church. What has God given to the church to help us grow into Christ-likeness? Well, Paul explains in verses 11 to 12. Look with me. He says that he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So Jesus does not just forgive us of our sin and give us a clean slate and then say to the church, good luck. I hope you guys figure out how to live just like me. No, Jesus has given leaders to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, We don't have time to get into the details of apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, and their roles. I know many of you may have questions about that. I welcome you to email me or come and talk to me afterwards if you have questions. I'd love to discuss it with you. 
But what I, I just want to give you the overall point here. The point here is that God has gifted the church with leaders who are gifted in various ways. These apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, they're all leaders that God has given to the church, and they're all gifted in various ways. But what all of these types of leaders here have in common is that their ministry is centered upon the Word of God. Their ministry is centered on the Word of God. It's ultimately the Word of God that builds up the church. The leaders of the church wield the Word of God to prepare the people of God for the work of God. The leaders of the church wield the Word of God to prepare the people of God for the work of God. And that last part of the sentence is key because it actually leads us into our third point, God's great calling upon each Christian. You see, God has not gifted each local church with leaders to do the ministry for you. That's not why I'm here. That's not why Thomas and Chad and Doug are here. We are not here to do the ministry for the church. The church is not like a college football game where the majority watch a gifted few do all the ministry on the playing field. What does verse 12 say? God has given leaders to equip the saints. Who's that? That's you, Christians. Saints, Christians, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. That's one of the things that is happening right now, this morning. We preach and teach from the Bible on Sundays to equip you, the saints, to go out and do the work of ministry throughout the week. This is just like prep time. Like we gather together so that you can be equipped. And then, man, the meat of ministry is going to happen as we walk out these doors later on. Throughout the week, in your homes, at your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your discipleship meetups, in your small groups, ministry is happening all throughout the week. Now, it's important that we clearly define what the work of ministry is. Because if you're supposed to be equipped to do it, you need to know what that means exactly. Because there can be a lot of confusion surrounding the word ministry. A lot of people, when they hear the word ministry, they think of professional clergy. They say, well, he's in the ministry, or he's a minister. And we think of somebody who went to seminary. But that's not what Paul is talking about. He's not talking about seminary education when he says the work of ministry here. You see, that word ministry, it's, actually, it's the word diakonia. It's also translated many, many times in the Bible as service, service, for the work of service. And it's the same word where we get the word deacon from. It can refer to serving others to meet physical or spiritual needs. But all of us are called, every saint is called to the work of service, the work of meeting the physical or spiritual needs of the church. And Paul clarifies in the next clause in verse 12 that this work of ministry is the work of building up the body of Christ. He says that leaders equip the saints for the work of ministry, comma, for the building up of the body of Christ. And that, that second clause, he's just re-describing and, and describing in a different way what the work of ministry is. He's clarifying that the work of ministry is the work of building up the body of Christ. So the work of ministry is the work of serving the other members of the church in such a way that the entire church is built up into unity and Christ-likeness. That's how the body of Christ grows, which means that each of you plays a part. Paul clarifies that in verses 15 and 16. 
he emphasizes just how critical it is that you play your role. Read with me. He says in verse 15, We are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, and listen to this, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Did you catch that? When each part, that means each member, each Christian is working property, then the body will be built up in love. The idea today that you can be a Christian and worship God without being connected to a local church is a Western individualistic concept, not a biblical concept. The Bible knows no such thing. That is a foreign idea to Scripture that you can be a Christian and not be intimately connected to a local church. Ephesians 4 emphasizes just how critical your role is in helping the church grow in Christlikeness. Not only does the church need you to play your part, but you need the rest of the members of the church. Your spiritual vitality is tied up with everyone else in the body. If a, if a limb gets separated from the body, it gets separated from the life-giving flow of blood needed to sustain life. And what's going to happen to a limb that gets severed from the body? It's going to die. It's going to shrivel up. It has no life. A Christian that is separated from the church will not last. They will die spiritually. You cannot survive on your own as a Christian without being intimately. So you need the rest of the members of the church, and they need you, Christian. So what are some of the specific ways that Christians build up the body of Christ? Well, I'll just, I'll just name a few. We can do so by praying faithfully for one another. Prayer, we're going to talk more in depth about prayer in a couple weeks, but prayer is effective. James says the prayer of a righteous person availeth much. It has much power. In other words, it accomplishes something. It's not just something we do to make ourselves feel better. Like God actually hears prayer and responds to the prayers of his people when we lift up our, our prayers in faith. So like if your brother or sister is struggling, pray for them. If they're sick, pray for them to be healed. If they're struggling in sin, pray that they would repent and come back to Christ. God answers prayer. He sustains his people through prayer. You can build up the body of Christ by speaking the truth in love. Paul specifically uses that language in this passage. So like when you encourage another believer with truth from God's word when they're downcast or like doubting their salvation, like you're building up the body. Or when you warn a brother or sister who's Maybe they're drifting off into sin or they're starting to dabble in false teaching or, or something like that and you call them back to faithfulness, to Scripture. You're building up the body. You're helping the body grow. You could build up the body of Christ by serving one another in sacrificial ways, being a tangible example of the love of Christ. My wife and I have experienced this, from, have been on the receiving end of this from you guys over the past several weeks so many of you, as I mentioned earlier, you've encouraged us and written cards and, and cooked meals for us and mowed our yard and run errands and just so many ways you've loved us. That's building up the body of Christ. It's encouraged Jen and I to persevere in the midst of a difficult time in our lives. That's ministry. That's the work of ministry. It's the work of serving. You're a reminder to us of the selfless love of Christ. It's 
what's happening is that God, the Spirit of God, is ministering to us through you. You realize that when you serve other Christians? That's what's happening. Like God is working directly through you. What a privilege that the Spirit of God will minister through you to other believers. We can build up the body of Christ by doing what Paul says in the next chapter, in chapter 5. We've been doing it this morning. He says, by addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Did you know that just by attending worship on Sunday mornings, you are participating in building up the body of Christ? Did you know that? When you're in a room singing glorious truths about God, you are, yes, you're singing to God, but you're also singing to each other. As we sing, we can look around and be reminded that we are surrounded by a great crowd of witnesses who know these things, who believe these things. We can all testify of what Christ has done in our hearts. And it encourages us, it builds us up together. So even your participation in public worship, even through that, you're building up the other members of the body of Christ. And then a last way I'll mention of how you can practically build up the body of Christ is by sharing the gospel with people that don't know Christ. You can share the gospel with the lost so that those for whom Christ died can hear and believe and be baptized and get brought into the church. That's how the church grows. That's how the people for whom Christ died are going to be brought into the church is as the church goes and shares the good news of the gospel with them. My question for all of you this morning is this. Are you doing the work of ministry? Think about that. Are you doing the work of ministry? Are you building up the body of Christ? And if the answer is no, if the answer is I don't really feel like I am or not really consistently, then my follow-up question would just be, and this is just for you, just to ask yourself, why not? Why not? It, one reason could be perhaps that you've always viewed the church as a distributor of religious goods and services that, that's there to meet your needs. That's a very common way that people view the church today in America. Me, many people tend to view the church like a gas station where they go and get a weekly fill-up and the pastors are the gas station attendants. My prayer this morning is that you've clearly seen in God's word that this is not the case. In fact, the picture we get in scripture of the church is so much better, so much more glorious, so much more life-giving. The church is a living body of believers, and if you are a Christian, you are an important part of that body. And you might say, well, I just don't know what I could offer the church. I don't know what I could give to the church. I feel so weak. Good. It's good that you're weak. We're not supposed to be strong. God works through weak people. I mean, Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians. He reminds the Corinthians, hey, not many of you guys were very impressive. Not many of you guys were known for your wisdom or for your strength or for your intellect. But God chose what is weak in the world. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the strong and to shame the wise. So we can boast in our weakness, guys. You might not have much to bring, but you can bring what you have. And you can serve in some of the ways I just lifted. So maybe... Maybe God's gifted you with the, ability, with the gift of hospitality and you just love to show hospitality to others. Well, use that gift to serve the church. Maybe God's gifted you with the gift of administration and you just love working with numbers and you, there's ways you can serve the church in doing that.
Maybe God's gifted you with the gift of mercy and you just love to encourage other people. You can serve the church by encouraging and, and, and loving other members of the church. All sorts of ways you can get involved. Now, perhaps you aren't doing the work of ministry um, not because you don't want to, not because you view the church as a distributor of religious goods and services, but you've just never been equipped. You've never been equipped to do the work of ministry. Well, the good news is that as we've already seen, you can do this work of ministry because God has gifted the church with all the resources needed to build itself up in love. The role of church leaders like myself is to equip you. So if you haven't been equipped, then I'm really excited to share with you this morning that myself, Thomas, Chad, Doug, man, we want to help you get equipped. And you can begin today. And I'm about to lay out just some of the practical ways you can do that. At Pillar DC... There's three primary ways that we want to help equip the saints for the work of ministry. We want to do so through the preaching and teaching of God's Word on Sunday morning. That's what we're doing right now. We want to do, through, do so through our small groups that meet on the second and fourth weeks of the month, throughout the week, throughout the city. And we want to do so through one-to-one discipleship relationships, as Thomas was talking about earlier in his prayer. So let me say a brief word about each of these and why they're important. The preaching of the Word as we sit under the teaching of God's word and apply it to our lives, we will live and think and talk more like Jesus. And the result, as Paul says in Ephesians 4.14, is that we will not be like children, easily swayed by worldly philosophy and false teaching, but will be a mature body of believers, each using our gifts to build one another up in love. So if you know right now that you've been stagnant in your spiritual life like in your walk with the Lord you're like I've just kind of been coasting or maybe I've even been kind of going downhill I've not been growing I've been regressing if that's you and you have been spotty in attending Sunday morning worship and sitting under biblical preaching there's your answer (laughs) recommit to just being here on Sundays and sitting under the teaching and preaching of God's Word. That's your first step right there. Be consistent in gathering with other believers and sitting under the teaching and preaching of God's Word. If you're not doing that and you're struggling to be consistent in your walk with Jesus, that's the reason why. That's the reason why. Guys, we don't urge you to gather for worship on Sundays for the, for, you know, so that we can have good numbers or so that... like. We have no motive, ulterior motive, except for the good of your own soul. We want you to come and gather for worship because we want you to be built up in Christ-likeness. We want you to stand blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy one day. And we know that the means through which God is going to build you up in Christ-likeness is as you are gathering with other believers and sitting under the preaching and teaching of God's Word. That's why we urge you to do this. So if that's you, let me encourage you to recommit to being here. And if you know a fellow church member who is not here today that needs to hear this, let me urge you to go encourage them this week to do the same. We also have small groups. And we gather in small groups because it's not merely enough to listen to good Bible teaching. That's important. But if that's all we do, then there's a key component that's missing. Because it's possible to listen to lots of great Bible teaching but remain immature in your faith. That's because we were meant to be in community. You need to be known. 
And small groups are a time for Christians to fellowship, to pray together, and to study God's Word even more in depth together. And by the way, they also provide further opportunity for you to actually do the work of building up other believers. There's lots of opportunities to do some building up in small groups. As you pray with each other, as you share an encouraging testimony in your small group gathering, as you bake cookies to serve the others in your small group, you're doing the work of ministry. You're meeting the spiritual and physical needs of the other members of the body. So that's an opportunity for you to apply this right now. And then we have one-to-one discipleship. And our our hope is that our small groups would foster one-to-one discipleship relationships, that you would get connected to someone within your small group and begin meeting on a regular basis on the off weeks when you don't. So if we got small groups on the second and fourth week, the idea is that on the first and third weeks of the month, you're meeting one-to-one or one-to-two in discipleship relationships with a disciple-maker who can really help you grow. And here's why that's important. We need people in our lives who know our temptations and our weaknesses and are praying specifically for those things and who are not afraid to challenge us in those areas. It is really easy to keep the church at arm's length when it comes to this. I see lots of people do it. They'll get just involved enough in the church, but they avoid discipleship because I don't want anybody too close because I don't want somebody asking me about that thing in my life. Because I know if I'm in a discipleship relationship, they're going to ask me that hard question about my sexual purity, and I don't really want to talk about that. But here's the thing. You need that if you are going to grow in Christlikeness. That is the very tool that God has given to the church to help you overcome sexual immorality or whatever sin it is that you might be struggling with, whatever doubt it is that you might be struggling with. We need people who will talk to us about these things, who will pray specifically with us about these things. And that's, that happens in discipleship relationships. The reality is, is that it's kind of difficult to share really personal things, even in a small group setting with 10 other people, because you don't want to put super personal stuff out there all the time in front of a larger group like that, right? That's why we have discipleship relationships, so you do have a trusted person. You go, man, I'm really struggling with this area of my life this week. I need prayer. I need help. I need you to hold me accountable. Guys, that's how we, that's how we grow. So if you are not in a discipleship relationship, I cannot urge you more earnestly. Take the next step and do that. The, here's how you can do it. Come and talk to me or come and talk to Thomas. Raise your hand, Thomas. After the service, okay? And say, hey, I know I need to get plugged into a discipleship relationship How do I start? And we will get you started. I promise you. We'll get started this week, okay? If you say, well, Jared, I just don't know if I have time on my schedule for like small groups and Sunday attendance and discipleship relationships. And look, I get it. I get it that D.C. is a busy city. We've got a lot going on in our lives. The first thing I would say is that nothing is more important than your eternity. That's the first thing I would say. The second thing I would say is, look, if you just can't do both and you're like, "I I can't do small groups and discipleship, then I would encourage you to consider doing discipleship before you consider doing the small groups. If you can only do one, then get in a discipleship relationship. Our desire is that you would do both. I think it would be beneficial and edifying for you to do both, but if you can only do one, then get plugged into a one-to-one discipleship relationship. That's my, my exhortation for you this morning. All right, I'm going to ask the worship team to go ahead and start making their way up. And um, this morning, as we close... We've seen in Ephesians 4, 11 to 16 that 
God's glorious goal for the church is that we grow up into Christ-likeness. God's gracious gift to the church is leaders who equip the saints. And God's great call upon every Christian is to do the work of ministry, to do their part in building up the body of Christ. I want to leave you with this question this morning to reflect on. How is God calling you to step out in doing your part to build up the body of Christ this week? How is God calling you to step out in doing your part to build up the body of Christ this week? Maybe it's signing up for a small group or beginning to be discipled. Maybe it's recommitting to regular Sunday morning attendance. Maybe it's writing an encouraging note to a fellow church member. Maybe it's lovingly confronting a fellow believer who's, who's living in unrepentant sin. Or maybe it's giving generously towards the offering we're about to take up in a few moments for the building fund so that our church can be more effective in reaching out to our community. There's all sorts of ways that you can take next steps towards doing the work of ministry, building up the body of Christ.